Greetings, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome back to Bot in the After Dark. My name is Kate, and I will be your host for this journey. Today, we venture to the oft-traversed forest floor into the world of Poison Oak. has been hiking or camping in western North America has potentially encountered the Pacific or western poison oak, Toxicodendron diversilobal. The species range includes conifer and mixed broadleaf forests, woodlands, grasslands, and chaparral biomes, and shares a genus with poison ivy and other poison sumac species. For the purposes of this episode, this is the species of focus. The rare Atlantic poison oak, Toxicodendron pubescens, grows in a similar environment. Though, as the name suggests, its species range extends from New Jersey down to Florida and west to Louisiana and Arkansas. It is often confused for poison ivy, as is its Pacific counterpart. Be aware that, while similar, poison sumac is from a different genus than other sumac species, just as poison oak or poison ivy are different from their non-abrasive counterparts. This is largely due to the poisonous varieties being placed into their own unique genus of toxicodendron, literally translating to poison tree. However, they are from the same plant family of Anacardiaceae, known as the sumac or cashew family of plants. These species produce droops, more commonly known as stone fruits. Others in this classification are peaches, plums, and the like. While Pacific poison oak has been sighted from British Columbia all the way down to Baja, California, the plant's main concentration range is California. Depending on the plant's age and environment, it can exhibit vines or a shrub's sturdy trunk. However, if growing as a winding vine, the support tree or other structure may well be buried within the foliage, depending on the length of time the vine has been growing. These vines or climbing shrubs are known for both their irritating sting and their tendency to suffocate any host trees unlucky enough to encounter them. It is important to note that while the support trees may well suffer, it is not due to compounds within the plant, nor constriction, rather than the mere presence of foreign foliage over top of the tree's leaves can significantly decrease the possibility of photosynthesis if expansive enough. Similarly, sometimes the vine's extra weight, especially when combined with winter frost and snow, is enough to severely impact an otherwise healthy tree's continued growth. As previously stated, poison oak can take several forms depending on its growing conditions. If exposed to full sun, for example, it becomes a bushy shrub, stable in its own right. However, if the same plant is grown under the canopy, exposed to dappled sunlight, it is much more likely to become a climbing vine. This makes identification more tricky, though not impossible. The general rule for this plant's leaves is that they always grow in clumps of three. However, depending on the growing conditions and individual plant genetics, they can also appear in clumps of five or seven. Remember, 
Regular oak leaves do not grow in odd sets. They grow in sets of two. Also, though reminiscent of traditional oak leaves, those of Toxicodendron species are not as deeply lobed nor toothed as those of their non-irritating counterparts. Furthermore, the western species tends to have glossy leaves, while the eastern has fuzzy leaves, with hairy or thorny stems. Both are generally one to four inches long and change from bronze in the spring to green in summer and pinkish red in autumn. Both also produce whitish berries rather than acorns. It is also notable that all plants within the Toxicodendron genus are erisual-bearing species. Oddly, while some people have severe volatile reactions as a direct result to exposure with these plant oils, others have none. Depends on individual body chemistry as to the severity of such a response, but it is rare to be relatively unaffected. However, the erisual present in this and other Toxicodendron species often takes several hours to present a rash. If caught prior to such a dermatitis response occurring, prevention is possible. When such preventative is technu, it is a highly effective cleansing agent that deactivates the erisual you might have come into contact with, so long as it is used early enough. Interestingly, a person's response to these compounds tends to worsen with exposure. This means that while the initial contact may well be mild, any interaction thereafter may well become increasingly worse. The irritating oils are relatively manageable, if aggravating, when contained within the plant. While most well known for its topical properties, these species are far more dangerous once the erisual contained therein is released as an aerosol. The most common and easiest release mechanism for said compounds is fire. With the prevalence of forest fires in California, you can imagine that this would be highly problematic. Were someone caught in the midst of a fire, where erisual-bearing species are present, they would likely be in severe respiratory distress within an incredibly short period of time. Not only would the smoke impair breathing, and the likely present carbon monoxide begin to prevent oxygen absorption, but as the plants begin to burn, their irritants become airborne. According to accounts, many years ago, prior to current safety and equipment regulations, often the only time firefighters wore respirators was when poison oak was present and potentially burning. While Technu is highly effective against topical irritation, there is no defense against inhalation. Lungs have a difficult enough time with dust particles. The introduction of a substance that causes a severe rash on generally durable surface skin to a structure comprised of bare mucous membranes can be catastrophic. Exposure for even a short period of time can prove fatal, as inhalation of the aerosol compounds is akin to having it directly injected into your lungs. While some are relatively immune to topical irritants, this is far more than the body can generally handle, causing even those with no general reaction to fall incredibly ill after exposure to nourishal-laden smoke. That being said, while potentially highly toxic and irritating for humans, Toxicodendron diversolobum is edible for many animals. It also often acts as a nurse plant for other forest species, 
providing dappled cover for developing shoots. As such, if at all possible, leave plants in situ when you find them. Be careful as you navigate footpaths, dear friends. Depending on where you are, you might well run into poison oak or one of its relatives, especially on less maintained trails. Travel well. If you look in the episode description, there are links to my blog and YouTube channel, where I talk more about plants, as well as my Patreon and relevant social media links. To that end, I would like to thank Rob Nelson for being a Patreon supporter. He runs Untamed Science, a channel discussing and supporting biodiversity and conservation efforts, which is linked below. If you would like to start your own podcast, I would recommend Pinecast. It is the platform I am using, and while I've only been posting for a short time, creator support has been comprehensive and swift, and the interface is easy to navigate. Though the service is free, that version only allots for the up upload and posting of 10 episodes at a time. If you do decide to up upgrade, you can use coupon code R-A19FE9 for 40% off for 4 months, and support Botany After Dark. To all my listeners, at home, work, or somewhere in between, thank you for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week about climate change, and the very real and very destructive impact it is having on the planet. I'd tune in for that if I were you. Have a good one. This is Kate, signing off.